0: This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, The Gospel of Matthew, Following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. All right, family, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Um, let's read this again and, and then we're going gonna to get started. You, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And this is an Old Testament teaching. It's a seventh commandment, right? The seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, again, the authority of Christ the King, the authority of who he is, here's the Old Testament, but I say to you that everyone, he's getting at the heart of adultery is essentially what he's doing here. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent or looks at a woman in order to lust after her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members Than that your whole body go into hell. Here, Jesus clearly sees adultery as a big deal. He clearly sees lust as being a big deal, and that the the motives and the thoughts and the hearts and the passions and the desires of our heart that's never necessarily lived out are just as important as if we live these behaviors out. So we must deal with these things properly, and that's what I hope we can do this morning. You see, sexual expression, it belongs inside the love and the commitment and the safety of marriage. Sexual desire is a wonderful thing in and of itself. God made sex and sexual behavior in the beginning. The Bible starts out with two naked people with a love song and a poem. This is a good thing. Sexual desire has its proper place. It was was made by God, and it's to be governed or, or guided or regulated with two main concerns, and we're going to be getting into this today. One is honor toward the other person involved in our sexual activities, and two, holiness towards God. And lust is what sexual desire becomes when that honor and, and that holiness is removed and missing from that sexual activity. Now, it's somewhat harmless to, and, and perhaps even natural to notice a woman is beautiful or that a man is strikingly handsome. But it's another thing It's it's one thing to make an observation about that. It's quite another thing to turn it over into the imagination and entertain immoral fantasies and thoughts and passions with this person carried out. And likewise, it's good to dress nicely and to care about your appearance, but it's another thing to dress seductively, hoping to get someone's attention. Be careful here. Jesus says here that adultery begins both in the heart and the eye. Perhaps we cannot prevent certain thoughts from coming into our minds. But once they enter our minds, we may either entertain them and play them out, act on them, or we can cast them aside, pray for the Holy Spirit to give us strength. And we can find our minds place somewhere else. It's a fight or fold. In those moments where the sinful thought inadvertently comes into our mind, are we going to fight this or are we just going to collapse and just fold into it? A 16th century theologian, Martin Luther, said this, we cannot stop birds from flying over our heads, but we can keep them from building nests in our hair. We cannot keep impure thoughts from darting into our minds, but we can refuse to let them roost and find a home there. And that's at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. An example of lust or lustful intent um, is found in 2 Samuel chapter chapter 11. And basically you have here, it's up there. um, uh, Mainly uh, it happened late one afternoon. Uh, I think it's the next slide. But basically here's what's happening is David's up on his rooftop and he looks over and he sees a woman bathing. And it says she was beautiful. And then he said, hey, I want you to go get her and bring her up here. They haven't had any sexual interaction. But lustful intent and lust is already there. Adultery has already taken place. And you can see it. It actually unfolds perfectly for you there in 2 Samuel. They end up having sex. She conceives. He kills her husband. He then, out of such goodness and mercy of such a wonderful king, marries her, and the son is born, and the son dies. Tragic. But you see there what lust and lustful intent does. It starts well beyond the physical act. Most affairs happen long before the physical encounter, the sexual encounter happens. It's a drifting heart. It's an anticipation of that certain person showing up. Or it's the convenience of staying around later in hopes of finding that person in the parking lot or in the break room. These things start well before your one-on-one in a bedroom. So, as we consider this and as we unpack this further, what is lust, what is lustful intent? Well, lust is found in Ephesians 2 as the words the carrying out the passions of our flesh and the desires of the body and the mind. It's written about in Titus 2 and it's used there as worldly passions. And it's discussed in Ephesians 4 as deceitful desires. Desires that trick you. Desires that don't tell you the truth. That's lust. All these have the same Greek root word. Perhaps no other passage of Scripture has affected me in regards to this sermon and and lust in general and seeking to, to let the Bible speak truth and light into it than 1 Thessalonians 4. So I want to read this for us. And unpack it some more as well in in addition to Matthew 5. So finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, speaking of holiness, how you ought to walk and please God in your life, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. You're not there yet, but continue in this. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. This is it your sanctification, becoming more like him, pursuing holiness in regards to God, abstain, that you abstain from sexual immorality, the very first thing he mentions, that each one of you know how to control his own body. And here's the holiness and honor piece that we've already unpacked a little. Control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lust. Like the Gentiles, speaking of those who have not yet believed in Christ as Savior, those who do not know God, so that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. And Jesus points it out in Matthew 5, the avenger, it looks like hell. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. He's called us in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, he disregards not man, but God. If you ignore this thing about purity and sexual purity, you're not ignoring man. You're not ignoring Jeremy on stage talking about lust. You're ignoring God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So from these passages, from Ephesians to Titus to, to, uh, to Thessalonians, we, we learn here that lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object And disregards God, dishonors its object, and disregards God. It's this desire, this craving, this longing, this passion for something, particularly sexual in nature, is the context of Matthew five. Let. Each one of you, you you must control your own bodies in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles do who do not know God. Notice the contrast there. The holiness and honor and not in the passion of lust. So they're juxtaposed. You see, God established a relationship called marriage. And in it, a man and a woman make a lifelong covenant to honor each other with faithfulness and with love. Sexual desire becomes this, this servant or this tool or this spice of that covenant bond of mutual honor. So to say to another person, I want you to satisfy my sexual desire, but I don't want you as a covenant partner in marriage, basically means I want to use your body for my pleasure and my personal satisfaction. But as a whole person, I don't want you. And that is dishonoring, therefore that is lustful. This is at the heart of what Jesus is getting at. If if there's uh, if there's a lust equation, there's sexual desire, a sexual thought... Minus a commitment to honor the other person. Minus glorifying God in your sexuality. Pursuing holiness in your sexuality. That is lust. It's the sexual desire and thought. Subtract honoring other people. And subtract glorifying God in that behavior. That's lust. So a root, a root issue here with lust is a disregard for God holiness that we're called to live is living in supreme regard for the holy God. It's, it's living in respect and appreciation for the holy God. Lust is quite the opposite. It's a sexual desire which is not regulated, it's not governed or guided by a supreme regard for God, but rather it's, it's a disregard for God and a high regard for who we are and what pleases us. Just a while ago, I was taking pictures of, of the slide here during our song, and we were singing, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough, nothing compares to your embrace Right, we We're singing these songs, these lyrics, just while I go. When, when, when you're in lust, what you're saying to your own craving is like, I want my own satisfaction. I want my desires played out. I need what makes me feel complete. It's, the attention is not on another supreme being. You make yourself out to be the supreme being, the one that's in high regard. And this is the issue. This is the root issue. God created sexuality. He created it good. He created it beautiful. He created it for our enjoyment, for our personal pleasure. He alone has the wisdom and the right to speak into it and tell us how to use it for his glory, for its intended purposes. But however, few today care at all for what God has to say in general, much less what he has to say about my personal sexuality. Lust corrupts this plan. Lust corrupts what God created to be good. It corrupts what was to be experienced for our joy and for his glory. And if your sexual desires do not honor others, and if your sexual desires has a disregard for the holiness of God, then it's lust. So beyond this, what's the big deal? Beyond this, why should you care? Beyond this, This preacher in in this warehouse and a particular text or two, why, why does it matter? You see, God doesn't just desire our purity and our holiness in our thoughts, He requires it. He requires us to be perfectly holy and pure even in our thoughts. You may not find lust to be a big deal, perhaps because no one sees it, but God does. You may find lust to be of small importance because it doesn't really affect others. That's a lie. Today, lust flourishes primarily because of the convenience of pornography in our society. Pornography seems to be this garden that grows lust. And it just produces lust and lustful intent all the time. Impure thoughts all the time. We can certainly say that lust and lustful intent are present when pornography and masturbation are present in our lives. We can certainly say that lust and lustful intent is present when there is sex outside of the marriage covenant. It's there. So before we go any further, let's define personally i want to define for us what is pornography i think it'll help our discussion it's any this is discussed with the elders earlier it's any image or literature any image or literature depicting or describing someone that causes you to lust it's any image or literature depicting or describing someone that causes you to lust this isn't merely hardcore porn. This could be Sears catalogs that you might remember if you're as old as I am from the 80s. It might be halftime shows at ball games you go to. It could be ads in the mall, particular stores. It could be a men's health magazine. It could be the gym. It could be R rated movies. It could be no rating. It could be. PG-13 movies. It all depends on what the content is. But the fact is, we landed here that it's any image or literature depicting or describing someone that's causing you to lust. That triggers that in your mind. That desire. It wakes it it up. And it it totally dismisses what you were thinking about before. And it takes on a whole new subject. You were thinking this, and then boom. Whatever that image is, whatever that, that image, even from the past, it comes up. You're like, okay, here we go. The influx of pornography is a huge issue that Christians must fight and not tolerate in our lives, and we cannot hide it in isolation. And this affects men and women. A a third of all pornographic websites are from females viewing those websites, Some statistics here to set the stage for us. 68% of the men in the church view pornography regularly. 68% of the men in the church look at pornography regularly. 98% of all college students have looked at pornography. 60, and this is secular, this isn't Christian. The one Christian statistic or church statistic I gave was 68% in the church 98% of college students have looked at pornography. 67%, this is, this kills me. 67% think that pornography is no big deal at all. That it is acceptable was the survey. That pornography is acceptable. Half of all internet users, half of all internet users view pornography. 40% of all the downloads, including all the music, any download at all, any documents, whatever. 40% of all downloads are pornographic in nature. 30% of all today's web searches are going to be that for pornography. And I, I clearly, I, I want to say this to clearly state that this is an issue. And in, in our modern era, if we're going to talk about lust, we can't talk about lust and, and not talk about pornography. Because pornography is what makes lust so easy and convenient Today. It affects how we engage with others. It affects how we treat others. Uh, Anti-pornography activist Gail Dines in her book, Pornland, she writes that young men who become addicted to porn, neglect their schoolwork, spend huge amounts of money that they don't have. They become isolated from others and often suffer depression. Dr. William Struthers says that he's a Ph.D. in in biopsychology from the University of Illinois, Chicago. He's a smart guy on this. He says men who use porn become controlling, highly introverted. They have high anxiety, narcissistic, curious. They have low self-esteem. They're depressed and easily distractible. So yes, this affects us. Yes, lust and pornography, it affects us. It changes our view of beauty. It changes uh, and affects our expectations for our husband and for our wife. It affects what you consider to be attractive and what you expect in a spouse. It distorts and it actually works slowly over time to redefine what is beauty and what is proper. It causes others to become tools to your fantasies instead of becoming your brother or sister. And because of of porn becoming so self-serving, like that of masturbation, it becomes about our pleasure and not about the self-giving, mutually benefiting intimacy that it was designed and created for. It objectifies men and women. It demeans men and women. And these precious men and women that are caught up in this industry and that view this material, they are important. Yet in that moment when you're lusting after them, whether it's a, a mental image or whether it's, it's something that you actually see in viewing pornography or maybe it's how you interact with somebody and you have a fantasy about them, perhaps later on in the afternoon off of something that, you, that played off of a conversation you had with somebody or how someone was dressed. They no longer have souls. They no longer are created in the image of God. They are no longer a brother or sister in Christ. They no longer make an eternal difference in the world today. It's not that they were created by God that makes them important, but right now, in this moment, they're going to help me become sexually satisfied. They're a means to an end for me. For 15, 30 minutes, however long that satisfaction can last which is no satisfaction, which is the lie of lust. You know, porn, it it affects your view of true reality and it creates a false fantasy atmosphere where the real world becomes boring and dull. In short, it rots us from the inside out. It destroys our ability to experience true friendship where, where I can esteem and respect the other person Higher than myself, which is what we're called to do as Christians. Of course, there is incredible hope found in Christ, and we're going to get there. But this is dangerous. Lustful intent affects our souls in ways that we will never truly know. And practically, we don't care. Practically, we could honestly care less. But God believes our sexual life is very important, and it is a big deal. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that how you handle lust has catastrophic, eternal consequences. In other words, off of Matthew 5, where Jesus is talking about hell and drastic measures being taken... He points out that God's vengeance upon sin is much more fearful than anything else that could happen to us here on this earth. And according to 1 Thessalonians 4.6 that we read earlier, God's vengeance is coming upon those who disregard the warning against lust, who disregard even this sermon today. And that should shake us to our core. Pastor Jeremy Are you saying that a person can lose his salvation? Is Jesus saying that if somebody does this, that they can go to hell? Of course, we know that Jesus isn't literally saying that you're supposed to cut off your hands and pluck out your eyes because you could have no hands, no feet, no ears, no eyes, and still have a heart issue. That's what he's getting at. He's using hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to prove a point. He's trying to get at something deeper than your eyes, deeper than your hands. He's getting at your heart. He's much more concerned with him having your heart than you not having your eyes and you not having your hands. Because that is what changes you. That's what changes me when he has our heart and we trust him with who we are. And our heart becomes defined By him and not by sexual fantasy after fantasy after experience and experience. But by God and our relationship with him. Jesus says that if you don't fight the sin of lust in your mind and heart with the kind of seriousness that is willing to cut off your hands and gouge out your eyes, that you will go to hell and suffer there forever. That is what Jesus point blank says right here. So you're telling me that Jesus says that you can lose your salvation. In short, no. However, there are many professing Christians, people who believe that they are Christians, who have a view of salvation that disconnects it from real life, from day in, day out life, that nullifies the biblical warnings, And it puts the sinning person who claims to be a Christian beyond the reach of biblical threats. And this doctrine is comforting people as they skip merrily into hell. And Jesus is saying, This can't happen. If you don't fight lust and if you don't pursue holiness, you will go to hell. You will not be with God when you die. You will not be in paradise. And then you will realize what a deceitful passion that really was. When you were totally tricked. Literally here, if you don't fight lust, you won't go to heaven. Jesus says it here. But it's essentially this. Where there is no battle... I wanted to create the tension here to tell you this where there is no battle for obedience, there is no salvation. There is no truly changed heart. This battle, this fighting, it doesn't have to be winning. It's got to be fighting. You've got to have your gloves up. You've got you've to punch some. You've got to struggle here. It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary for you to fight this lust as hard as you can. It's the difference in heaven and hell. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Same root word for lust. The passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Stop frolicking around thinking that you're going to heaven if you're not fighting and your gloves aren't up and you're not attempting to pursue holiness and you're not seeking to abide with God. Who are you fooling? You're being tricked and I pray that you wake up today as you hear this word being preached and run to the grace of God and let him change your heart, not just your behavior and that you be set free from things like this where you're set free to fight. Where you're set free to care and you're set free to pursue God in intimate relationship and find satisfaction. A woman at the well in John 8, she tried, she she was married four times and living with another man who wasn't her husband at the time, and she's at the well getting water. And Jesus, she said, He says, Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want the water that's going to quench all thirst and satisfaction? She says, Yeah. Jesus changes the subject, it seems and says, Go get your husband. What? Her search for satisfaction was found in sexuality and not in what Jesus was offering to her, which is much more significant than just sexuality. You need the living water. You need to be reconnected with your creator, that who is God. You need to experience the holy God deep within your heart, deep within your soul. Then you'll experience satisfaction. You're just going to be hopping from one husband to another husband to another husband. You need living water. I am this living water. He who drinks of me will never thirst again. And then she says, give me that water my heart is that we'll say that today Colossians 3 says this is the war raging here the fight that we have to be engaged in Colossians 3 put to death therefore what is earthly among you sexual morality impurity passion same word for lust evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming that's for real Galatians 5, 19 and 21 says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. It's, it's amazing how so many times this is always first in a list like this. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these, just in case I didn't get them all. I warn you, as I warned you before, this is the second time we're on this, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who perpetually do these things without putting their fists up, who, who, just, who just keep taking punch after punch after punch, who's not fighting, who's not engaging, who's not seeking to become better trained in godliness as Timothy, as Paul tells Timothy to do, to pursue godliness and exercise his godliness and to pursue holiness, that those guys, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter if you're if you part of a church. It doesn't matter even if you read the Bible. It doesn't matter if you sing only Christian music or if you dress a certain way or only go to certain places and you abstain from other places. It doesn't matter if you wait until you're married to have sex with your partner for the very first time. These things aren't the root issue. The root issue is a changed heart and you pursuing godliness. That is what changes your heart is when God saves you by his grace, not your attempt to modify your behavior. 1 Corinthians 6 says, The body is not meant for sexuality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Hebrews 12, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Are we not then saved by grace? Are we not then saved by grace through faith and believing in Jesus Christ? Indeed, yes. And those who persevere in the faith will be saved. As Paul says to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good, fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life and i want us all to see that the fight against lust is a battle against unbelief and it's a battle for faith the fight against sexual purity is the fight of faith and it's an error It's a great theological error today by many that says faith in God is one thing and the fight for holiness is another thing. Or that faith is what gets you into heaven and holiness is what gets you rewards. Or you're justified by faith, but you get your sanctification by works. Or to put it bluntly, you start out the Christian life and the power of the Holy Spirit, but then you just will yourself and you press on according to your own way, your own strength and, and your own power through your flesh. This is a great error. It's the same error that says the battle for obedience is optional because only faith is necessary for salvation. The truth is that faith alone delivers from hell. And the faith that delivers from hell is the same faith that changes our hearts and it produces the fight that is needed within us. We must struggle. We must press into faith and belief in the gospel by pursuing God and the things that honor Him and fight those things that affect our relationship with Him and with others. This, by definition, is what it means to be Christian. It's it's to live for His glory and concern for other people not for our own, and lust is so much about you and me individually. This battle against lust is the battle for belief, and it's the battle against unbelief. These thoughts, these sinful thoughts, these lustful thoughts that plague us, must be put to death. Consider Colossians 3 again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly among you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This, tem- this, this temptation to sin, this lust that is present, should be thrown aside immediately, decisively, now, now, Playing around with this is deadly. Halfway measures in our pursuit of holiness work havoc on our lives. Incredibly frustrating. Playing around and not fighting lust, it's dangerous. It's like waiting around with this temptation kind of floating around just to see if it's going to take root and become a lustful intent. It's like playing with fire. My dad used to always tell me, because I love fire, he said, Jeremy, every time you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And then it became a a figure of speech for us as is popular even today. I thought it started my pops, but it didn't. It even goes back to Proverbs chapter six in regards to lust. It says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? He's speaking of lust here in context of, of Proverbs six. He says, or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? You can't play around with lust and be okay this surgical this attempt to pursue holiness and godliness to be careful in regards to lust must be radical and intentional Right at this very moment, without any indecisiveness or hesitation, while you're sensitive to the Spirit of God, the obscene book should be burned, the scandalous picture destroyed, deleted, and deleted, and deleted. The soul-destroying film condemned, the sinister yet very intimate social tie broken. The erotic novels thrown away, the iPhone perhaps, for some of us, removed, the sinful habit discarded. And maybe there's many people who need to unfollow certain, certain organizations or certain individuals that post lustful content that triggers certain thoughts. Unfollow these people. Be careful meeting with others one-on-one. Be careful. Seems radical. Yeah, so just cutting off your hand. You should keep yourself in community more often and fight drifting towards Isolation. Jeremy, that's too far. You're right. Jesus says cut off the hand that's actually holding the iPhone and then get rid of the iPhone too. Of course, that's old school. But I tell you, I know men in this church who've done it before. When you get so sick of your sin, you'll try anything. I was reading Spurgeon. I I wish I had his quote. Uh, He's a, A man who's with Jesus, he's an older theologian, passed on now. But he said, you know what, even if there's things that help us become more intelligent for our own work, if that makes us sin, we're better off being more ignorant at work than for our our soul to be harmed in our holiness, in our pressing on towards our holiness with God. That's so extreme, though. That, That doesn't mean us, right? Again, if we're sick of our sin enough, we'll try anything. Why fight like this? <laughs> why, why do things like this? Because your eternity is contingent upon you putting your gloves up. So, do something. You're just taking hit and punch and punch and hit and kicked. You're not even trying. So often, I don't even try. Let's throw our fists up. Let's hold, let's hold one arm up just to protect us. Fight back. Do something. Certainly you can choose to remain in the same situation and just try harder at certain things or just stop thinking about certain stuff. And there's a lot of people like that who are in hell today who just thought about making change and thought about pursuing God. There is an intense battle that's raging for your soul. Beloved, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Wage war. In a war, there's typically a winner and a loser. There's a war, raging a war against your soul. In the struggle against sin, we must fight hard. And Jesus is saying that we must make difficult decisions and often very painful and inconvenient decisions to escape the bondage of lust and press in towards the holiness that God's called us to. Now, as we consider the gospel and lust this morning, Without Jesus and His Spirit, His Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts and changing us, no cutting off the hands are going to work. just like what I said earlier, <laughs> no plucking out the eyes are going, to, no throwing away the iPhone is going to work. None of this stuff is going to work. That's just behavior modification. Ultimately, trying harder and ridding yourself of these certain devices can only go so far. However, that is very helpful. Do not, do not misunderstand me. Those things are very, very helpful. Do all that you can to fight sin. Do all that you can. Be radical. Radical about how you fight sin. Make it as difficult as possible for you to drift off into sin. What's needed in addition to you working your heart out And making it difficult to sin is to experience the gospel in regards to your lust. The message of the gospel as it pertains to lust can set you free. True freedom, not the lie of freedom that lust gives. True freedom through the wonder-working power of the Spirit of God in your life. God Almighty living in you. Lust is like a noose, and the more that you try to get out of it, the tighter it gets around your neck. And what you need is somebody to come around and and hold you up and loosen it for you because you're never going to get it off on your own. The gospel does this. The Spirit of God is what comes and holds us up and loosens the noose and sets us free. You must look outside yourself for this deliverance. The lie is that lust is good and 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 helpful, and what I need to be satisfied. But the truth in regards to this, hang with me here, the truth in regards to lust is that God is enough, and He can be trusted. And I believe that when we drift off into lust, and we pursue these other sexual experiences outside of the covenant of marriage, that we, we do it doubting that God is good, and doubting that he knows what's best for us. Ultimately, I think that's why why I drift. Lust says, I want something that's not mine, and I'm not willing to invest the time or pursuit needed to make it mine. Lust says, I don't want to wait for what God has. He's probably going to take too long anyway. So I'm going to go get what I want right now. In regards to lust, when lust is present in your soul, when lust is present in your mind, and your heart, what is it that you're truly looking for in that moment? When you're looking at that other person, when you're considering that other person, what is it that you're ultimately looking for? What is it that you're, you're truly seeking? What is it in your life that needs to be satisfied? when you're going after this lust. It's not just a sexual drive that's present. It's not something that's just merely sexual. It's deeper, it's more significant than that, I believe wholeheartedly. The problem is we don't hate our sin enough and we don't see Jesus as beautiful as he really is. And we honestly believe that we know what's best And that we honestly don't believe that being in a relationship and friendship with God is that special or that satisfying. And that what is special and satisfying is this activity over here that's got my attention that I want to play out and satisfy myself. We lust and we usually don't fight lust because we believe that God isn't truly good. And we lust and we don't fight against lust because we believe we know what's best. And the option we often prefer to is to become a maverick or a rebel against grace and God's saving power and his delivering power that he promises to us. And we choose to make ourselves out to be God, figuring things out as we go because after all, we know what's best. But the truth is we make terrible gods we are horrible at being sovereign. Yet, in the moment, we think we know what's best, even better than God. So we resort to sexual morality, which satisfies for a few minutes, but then leaves us wanting more and more and better and better. And that search is endless. It's, you know, this is the time of year where there's a lot of field day activities and I, I, I was looking at one of my friend's Instagram feeds the other day and it, he showed his son doing this relay. And I remember doing it when I was a kid. I hated it. Um, I hated relays in general. I was just, a, I was a big kid. Um, <clears throat> tug of war. That was mine. Um, but you have this cup and the bottoms out of, it's got holes in it, you know, and you got to go scoop water up and run. You can't put your hand on it. You'll get disqualified. Trust me, you can't carry it close to yourself, you'll get disqualified. Uh, I've worked through all these things. You run, and then you dump it, and then you go back and give the cup to the next person. I was watching this guy do this, and I've experienced that. you probably experienced it too, as, as even teachers in the room, but even personally as students when you were a child. And I, I started thinking about this this week in regards to this sermon. I saw it this week, and I was like, man, how often is that exactly what we do with lust? Except there's not just a few holes in the cup, the bottom's out of it. The bottom's out of it, and we're scooping And we're like, look at that water. And we're scooping it, and we're just like, oh, I'm so thirsty. Oh, there's some more water. And you scoop it up, and you're like... And you scoop it up, and you're like, no, there's diff- maybe it's different water. Maybe that's just too watery. I mean, maybe, maybe a little, little something different. And you, you try this, there's no satisfaction. And what you do is you exhaust yourself... And you exhaust yourself and you use people because they're, they're going to be what is going to help you. That, that next person is going to be what's going to satisfy you, right? That next image is what's going to really, really help you. And so you, you get it and it never satisfies you and it leaves you exhausted. And that's our best attempt at being satisfied in regards to lust. It doesn't. Satisfy. It leads to the exact opposite. It leads to exhaustion of our soul. Comfort and true pleasure and contentment are only experienced when we are in right relation with God, living His way, connected to Him daily through intimate pursuit of Him. And when we resort to our own way long enough, it will certainly lead to to adultery, breaking the covenant of marriage completely. However, that's not what lust tells us when we buy it. That's not what we're told when it's sold to us. That's the little disclaimer that we never have time to read. But it's there. The thief is there and his tool is lust today. And he's there to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. Not to play patty cake. Not to go shoot hoops with you. Not to go strum some music with you. He's there to steal, kill, and destroy you. He's raging a war against your soul right now. The Spirit of God must come and begin wiping our minds clear of our wickedness and our sinful experiences. And we must begin the hard work of not adding to that those experiences, and those thoughts. It's both. The root issue with lust is a wandering heart seeking to find fulfillment and satisfaction. Yes, but there's more. A wandering heart seeking to find value and worth and identity. That that do I matter type of identity. Am I special? I want somebody to think that I'm special. My friend, there aren't enough sexual encounters to give your soul what God can give you. Your soul will only find rest. The Bible considers that peace. Your heart will, will only find peace in a personal relationship with God. And it's there that you're going to find worth and value and identity that you're looking for in all sorts of other experiences, sexual and non-sexual Only God can satisfy you. And the relationship with God that is ruined by our sin. But God sends Jesus. That precious relationship that we wanted is broken because of our sin. But God sends his son, Jesus, who is God in the flesh. He sends him on a mission to rescue you and to make you perfect again. So much so, so perfect that it's as if you've never sinned. And it's as if you've always, always obeyed your whole life. And the Bible calls this being made righteous. This our our justification It's being made good enough to be back in relationship with the perfect, holy, sinless God. And Jesus did this by living perfectly without even lusting one time. And he did this when he died on the cross for your lust. And he died on the cross for your sin. Absorbing the very wrath and the punishment that's coming, we read it the, upon these things, the wrath of God is coming. We read it a while ago. that wrath of God for those who believe in Christ is poured out on Christ, and he takes it upon himself as our substitute, and we know we know that his work was accepted by God because he beat death. Three days later, he comes up from the dead, out of the grave, and now he's seated on a heavenly throne as king of all kings right now. And when you believe that Jesus did this for you, when you believe that he was your representative in his perfect life, and when you believe that he was your substitute, taking your sin upon himself and the consequences of your sin upon himself and the consequence of other people's sin that that affects you upon himself. And he beats death for you. When you believe that he did these things for you, you are made as pure as the undriven snow. You're made as pure and as white as snow, perfect in the eyes of God, as if you've never lusted. So, what's your worth? You're worth God dying. What's your value? The price of God in the flesh dying for you. What's your identity? Son and daughter. Adopted, no longer orphaned. Cared for, no longer fatherless. Cherished, no longer hated. Beloved, no longer enemy. Are you kidding me? Mine. Because of Christ, he looks at you and says, mine. And he can't wipe the smile off his face. He's so proud of you. Not because of anything that we've necessarily done, but because of the price that's on us, which is his son and what he's done for us to redeem us. Wow. The Bible even says that we're the bride of Christ and we're going to wear white one day, y'all. That's going to be amazing. Colossians 3 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly among you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, Christian, Christian, hear me. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, filth, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put those away. Put on them new identity as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who you are. You're holy and you're beloved. Put on them compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as the Lord in Christ has forgiven you. So you also must forgive above all these things. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let your soul rest. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let your heart rest in that. Stop the pursuit of scooping and trying to find satisfaction with that water. Rest. My dear family, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hear these words, Christian. There's freedom found here in Christ. You know, as I was thinking and preaching just now on what Christ has done for us. I thought of what we're about to jump into here of communion because it's such a beautiful picture of what he's done for us. We're about to remember through communion the body of Christ that lived perfectly for us, the body of Christ that was hung on a tree for us. He gave us, himself, so that we could be saved. And he poured out his blood. He was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. The blood pours out. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no removal. There, there is no forgiveness of sin. And he provided that necessary sacrifice of himself on the cross and in his life and in his death and his resurrection so that we can look forward to the day when we eat, with God when we sit down and experience meal upon meal forever upon ever upon eon upon eon with Jesus Christ in paradise forever and what he did made that possible. So when I invite you now to come to the table to take this bread and and dip it in this juice or wine, I'm, 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 I'm inviting those who have tasted and seen more than this, they've tasted and seen that Jesus is good in their soul. And that you're saying by doing this that you believe Jesus. And this is is not just a formality. This is not just a piece of liturgical uh, 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 event that we have here every week at the Axis. But you're saying, no, this, this is an outward sign of something that's done within my heart. The blood of Christ covers me. His body that he gave up on the cross makes a difference for me. It's changed me. It is changing me. So I invite you to celebrate what the Lord's done I, and, to, and to show others in the room today that, man, this has made a difference in you. I love you, church family. Man, I love you guys so much. What a joy. What a joy it is to be up here and, and, and break off sermon after sermon with you all. Uh, it, it changes me, and it shapes me probably more than it does you. So thanks for the opportunity to, to be very real and in some sense, raw with the material this morning. And, uh, and I pray that your heart receives it. And I pray that you work through it and take, take it serious. Please. Let's be together in heaven, not just here on earth. Let me pray for us and we'll move into communion. Communion. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for being perfect in your life. Never even a sinful thought. That would have broken the deal. But Lord, you did the hard thing of obeying perfectly, and I thank you for that. Lord, would you be with us now as we process this, these truths that have been preached, stored, and, and read? Lord, would you allow these truths to make a difference in our life today and tomorrow for the rest of our lives? Lord, I pray that people would experience freedom from pornography, freedom from just giving in to lust all the time, and that they would feel free to fight and engage the enemy knowing that you have overcome knowing that sin is broken and that there is victory lord i ask that you save those who have never trusted you and perhaps just tried to look christian without being made into one through your holy spirit or would you change them this morning? Would you save them this morning? And, and would they have the boldness and and, and courage, Lord, um, or to, to share that with others, to share that with me? I would love to celebrate that. We'll protect the relationships that, are, that, are, that make up the Axis Church. We'll protect the marriages that the enemy wants. He wants to divide, I know. I know he wants to divorce. Lord, would, would you protect our marriages, protect those who are engaged, protect those who, Lord, are, are, are boyfriend, girlfriend, trying to figure things out, protect them. Oh, God, protect them. Thank you for your love, Lord. Help us as we pursue you in holiness and godliness, without which we'll never see you. So help us fight. We love you and we trust you and we can't wait to look perfectly like you, even our own eyes when we're in heaven. Until then, we run fast and press in and fight hard, believing you more and more every day. In Christ's name, amen.